Welcome, Crusaders and Pathfinders. Welcome to Ashes Pathfinders, the dedicated Ashes of Creation podcast, now running 43 episodes strong today. Our dedicated Pathfinders venture into weekly episodes discussing game updates, theory crafting, community, your questions, and news, all things related to Ashes of Creation. Special shout out, as always, to Patreon supporters over at patreon.com, the patrons who support the podcast and all Crusader Pathfinder content. Also, thank you to well, I think I ought to say for today, all of you here on DLive, DLive actually where we're at today coming uh, with the live stream. We are also, I just got to give a quick thank you to everyone who's a supporter and subscriber, aka Paladin of the Crusade over on my channel on uh, Twitch. Uh, but we have been hanging out over here on DLive regularly. Um, it's been actually a very welcoming platform. I'm really enjoying it, really enjoying uh, a lot of what's happening here. It's a smaller platform. Uh, but it's a great place to showcase Ashes of Creation content. And uh, quite frankly, I don't think anybody here is doing that. So what better than an official CC to bring it home and bring it to a, a platform that no one else is doing it on, right? Uh, with that being said, Daedalus, my man, my co-host, how are you doing today? How's it going, everybody? So Daedalus and I have a couple things to discuss with you all today. Uh, we are going to talk about the two blog posts that we've had this past week in uh, Ashes of Creation that had been on the, um, oh man, Chris and chat, what's up, man? Um, that, to uh, all the blog posts we've had, uh, we got two for the past week, which is quite frankly a lot more, um, well, that's a lot for a blog post in a week, that's for sure, because usually we were really, really, um, it was really, really rare that you would ever get a blog post. I mean, I felt like we had several in the beginning and then it was like we got one here and there over the course of almost two years or something like that, a year and a half. Um, it's been pretty scarce, um, and that's just the truth. But I know there are a lot of mixed opinions about the current uh, blog post that we have gotten. And Daedalus and I are going to talk about that a little bit. We're actually going to go through, talk about each area a little bit to anyone who's maybe fresh, doesn't know what's going on with Ashes. Um, actually, this past weekend... Uh, while we were hanging out on DLive, I actually had a few people that I hadn't talked to in a while, Crusaders, people who had followed my content, who were like, hey, Sim, what's going on with Ashes? Quite quite literally, uh, my perspective is these, like we talked about last time, Daedalus, right? With We talked about the mm -hmm. letter, and we talked about the live stream. Our thoughts were that those were really meant for a lot of the, the, the future potential player base who, quite frankly, don't really follow it as regularly as the, uh, the uh, core community, if you will. Um, but anyway... With that being said, we're going to talk about that a little bit. I know that it was there were a lot of opinions people had about it, and uh, you know we're going to try to go over these a bit, get some of each of our thoughts about it, kind of bring it bring it home at the very end, and kind of tie it all back in together with some of our final thoughts about it. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about the Castle Siege blog post. And let me go on ahead and for any of you viewing the video future on YouTube or now uh, here on D Live. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay, so as you can see, this is the website. This is literally what it looks like on the Ashes of Creation website. It's where the blog posts are at. 10 facts about castle sieges in the MMORPG. Now, if you've been following this, you're probably going, well, we already know probably the facts, right? Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But, you know, they've got some exquisite art, which I got to say shout out to Margaret for this because as content creators, as official content creators, one thing I've got to praise her for is ever since she's been in this capacity when there's like an official release of something uh we get the assets not before we get it after 
but we get it so we don't have to go and you know get all this stuff and you know kind of mine it ourselves essentially so it's really it's really making it a little easier for us i can take those images i can go to to the discord i can go to social media with it if i want um and just share it and showcase it without having to go and you know take extra time that quite frankly i usually don't have anyway to go and get that stuff right so as we're looking at this here massive battles so castle sieges are intended to be massive events with hundreds of people involved in a single siege one of the reasons the ashes of creation apocalypse Ooh, and that's the word we don't want to hear a lot of so i'm kind of glad that this article is really tying a lot of it as you all are going to see more so into the mrpg this is my big i thought was a positive to this was as you get down it says our goal is to have the largest organized pvp battles of any mrpg so they're really shifting this from castle siege mode and apoc and in this article we really start to see more of a shift to well let's talk about it in the capacity of the mmo that i feel like is important that was the thing i liked about it the information from my perspective wasn't really new information but they did talk about how the latest testing they had hit over 200 simultaneous players and they're really trying to push that number further uh i've got to say one thing about the whole stressing servers and everything i don't know if weird is here on d live right now watching man if you're here please there was this game and i forgot to tell you about this day list but there was this game uh there's a video on youtube i gotta get the link i will try to find i'll post it in discord for you crusaders and pathfinders but this link was essentially this new game coming out and i can't remember if it's called like dual universe or something mm -hmm. like that i've heard of the name yes and so they are doing a they were doing a stress test and they were using uh i believe they were bots but they were there was like forty thousand in in on this server 40,000 right and they they gave some like you know panning and screens and you saw them walking around I just thought to myself I was like oh buddy like 40,000 I mean I, I remember looking at the video and seeing them all in the same place look pretty fluid they're supposed to be representative of you know what a real player base would look like and I'm I was going what so I wish I wish I wish I could like share that right now Thank you. Thank you, Wes. I'm going to, unfortunately, because of the monitor I'm using right now, uh, I'm not going to be able to actually shift over there, but I can look on my phone. Dual universe. Is that what I said? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what you uh, said. Damn. I can't believe I remember that in my old age. So continuous <laughs> single shard as a server technology offers unbound, no loading screen universe for millions of players to share at the same time. Excuse me? How? I just want to know. Feel free to inform me, us, yourselves. Check it out. It's on YouTube. Um, yeah, I know, right, Wisp? I try sometimes. Good recalls, what they said in chat. I'm like, I know, right? That old man. You think so? I don't think so, man. So tactics and strategy matter. Um, so they talk about how every play, there should be a counterplay. Now, essentially, in this this particular part, uh, what they're outlining is, is that, uh, you know, that zergs will be difficult to pull off because essentially there will be counters to zergs such as weapons traps other battlefield tricks one thing i want to say about this is they made a point with castle sieges and the mmo to talk about how there are going and they said one of their key pillars is choice matters right that is going to apply to tactics and strategy um that it's more about a well-formulated battle plan right so 
in and I've talked about this before in the Elder Scrolls Online in that particular game, uh, well, people are like, you just can't, you just can't fight a Zerg. There's nothing you can do. Well, it's not true. I'm a single person, and I've ended Zergs in that game in Cyrodiil. Right? It's been a while since I've done that, but I've ended them because if you plan carefully, if you take advantage of certain opportunities, you can combat things like a Zerg. I've done it as one single player. So, <laughs> Chris, you see him? Look at him. Stop trying to tell me I how to that. stop trying to tell me how to run the stream, Chris. But you do you, Sam, man. You do you. <laughs> you do you. Thank you. So I'm saying support of my, my co-host here. So those are some of my thoughts, right? So they talked about the, the player base, uh, what they're trying to aim for right now in uh, the Castle Siege uh, mechanic, right? They're trying to push for more than that. Based on what you you know and your information so far, what are some of your thoughts about uh, about that and then their approach to trying to combat the Zerg mentality? In well, I mean, I just kind of on the the first point around the organized PvP battles and the size there. I mean, I you know I think that's fantastic. I mean, I know they had capped out around two hundred people. Um, in their testing and they want to push for more and that's why they're really taking things back to the drawing board in terms of the back end so so to me that's you know a great you know piece of information that they know they're still pushing the envelope i mean it's not entirely new right we've heard that that comment before yeah but i know some of my most fun experiences in mmos have been in that you know in that siege type of gameplay, like Dark Age of Camelot comes to mind with the RVR battles with friends, my guild. Um, and I do like the idea that they keep coming into this whole anti-Zerg philosophy and having, you know, ways to counter it. I know, you know, there have been ways to do it in other games, but it hasn't really been something where the developers have really tried to do something. Kind of thought, thinking about the the same Dark Age of Camelot uh, situation, some of my more frustrating experiences have been with a Zerg happening and not really being able to do anything because I've been spammed with CC. So I know the team is doing a lot to not focus on mechanics that allow players to lose control for unreasonable amount of times. So I'm confident that they're on the right track with kind of the anti-Zerg mentality, and I think they're going to make it fun. Um, just by, you know, a lot of the things they went through in the blog article uh, around, you know, tactics and choice being key, not only your group makeup, but also, you know, different things you can employ in terms of weapons and siege weapons and traps. I mean, those are just some really cool tidbits that we got hints mm -hmm. at. Um, definitely want to know more there. But I would say I was kind of pretty excited with the lead in you know reminding everybody hey this is our goal large-scale battles i mean i'm a little frankly a little surprised at this dual universe point you made i had had heard of dual universe i had not heard of this kind of forty thousand cap so obviously i'm um, i'm in the mode of you know wisp if you could dm that to me too i think between sim and i we can kind of shoot this over to maggie and company and be like hey check this out see what they're doing yes God, that'd be amazing because you know my my concern with running like with running a lot of players in the same place at the same time is between the mechanics uh mechanisms of traps and things like that that you've got in place 
uh you know breaking down a door potentially i mean if that's gets if they're gonna have destructibles in castle sieges you know whether i mean how are they not right like that's a big part of destructible right. like a destructible environment like being able to break down the doors being able to take down a wall those things are extremely important in a castle siege like that is a core part of it it's not just i mean that is equal to uh whatever you're using to try and take the walls down so you know from my perspective it's like you know what are the effects the spell effects going to be like what is all that going to look like how's that going to impact server performance with x mm -hmm. amount of people in the same place same time that is literally like that is at the core problem that so many developers think they're going to solve right and then when it comes down to it they just fall short they get close. There have been some to get close, but can you do it and live up to the quality of the technology we have today? That's the question. Right. And I, so far, I mean, the Elder Scrolls Online, they do a pretty good job. I mean, the game looks great. It's beautiful. Uh, but server performance sucks in Cyrodiil, and that's where Castle Sieges happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and you don't have a whole lot going on. Um, so anyway, some really pretty pictures that we got talking about the blog post, right? I'm just kind of scrolling through to those watching, letting them take a look at this tasty, um, beautiful environment, uh, pictures that we got. Managing a castle is a full-time job. So talking about that, you know, essentially, in the, and again, we're talking about managing a castle, right? This is not APOC language. This is MMORPG language, right? You only manage a castle in the MMO. You know, the keep owners, the, the communities that run them. So castles still have their own nodes associated with them. Developing and defending those nodes will be will determine the state of your castle during the next siege. If you've done a good job managing your kingdom, then you'll have more and better options available for deployment during the next siege. If you let your populace fall to ruin, you may have to rely solely on devices. So, you know, essentially, it, you're able to fortify these keeps more based on how, how well your communities are flourishing. Uh, so that's important, I think. Uh, Let's talk about every castle is different. This one's cool. Now, we've already seen, I think, I remember it was one of the conversations we had. What was it called? Uh, the Siege. I think it was that episode that we did. Mm -hmm. And they had originally started kind of giving us some information about Castle Sieges because we saw the Castle Siege video. And I think I know, I don't know if you remember or not, but I think I had noted, I was like, yo, dude, I'm pretty sure I saw two different keeps there. Plus, I saw another one in another video before. So there's like two or three different like architectural styles I've seen. And here mm -hmm. in these images, you start to get a little bit of the look at that. We're seeing a dwarven styled one for sure. Right. Because right, like yeah, dwarven. Because mm -hmm. um, Stephen had dropped, you know, he had done some leaking, which we love. And it was there were some leaks of what? It was uh, the human and dwarven, uh, uh, like the uh, the the fire. What do you call it? The pillar with the fire on it. Uh, but yeah. Oh, the con the control point. Yes, uh, thank you. The control point. It was a control point, and it was showing the two different races like styles for that, right? And so they're talking about how each style is different, and uh, there's five castles in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And again, MMORPG we're talking about each having been owned by different civilizations from the far flung Passavera. The so these stars, are essentially, thanks, thanks, well. Juice. Uh, these are essentially the, you know, uh, ancient. Uh, keeps that were left behind that are are that we get to inhabit essentially upon the return right as we're building mm -hmm. civilization up so i feel like based on that i'm here i'm hearing these are very key points and mm -hmm. different trains different layouts are going to result in each castle having its own advantages and disadvantages that's great i love it right because i don't want it to be cookie cutter 
I want I want things like that to matter. Um, just because you've managed to take one castle is not going to mean that your strategy will pan out for the next one. So it's not going to be the same strategy every time to take the keeps. Um, and because of what they just said in the last bullet that I had read out about these uh, facts about castle sieges, right? Um, mm -hmm. They've also shared that based on your performance running that keep, it's going to determine what you have for the next time someone tries to siege it. You know, is it going to make it easier for you to defend it? Or are you going to fall a little short and be weaker when that time comes? Uh, so they even even talked about, you know, the, the, the lay of the land, time of day, weather, seasons. And we talked about previously in an episode how important. Right. Yeah. We were like, ah, we want the seasons to be meaningful. We want them to impact the world. And we so here we're hearing, like right? Righteous crusade. Oh, Chris, thanks for the Welcome follow, man. You weren't crusade. following what the actual. Uh, I'm going to play it. Play it safe in case kids are watching so yeah man that's kind of what i'm thinking it's like are we going there with this is that a little hint of something to come what are your thoughts about these 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 two bullet points we've just discussed though i mean i think the the part that got me most excited when this section was the interplay between castles and nodes and i like the fact that it will require thought to hold a castle i mean i think we we heard this before but it felt like we got a little more meat in, in this particular section about, you know, the approach to maintaining, you know, a, a castle in an ownership situation is a moving target. And mm -hmm. then each time it's captured, you can't use the same tactic. Um, I like that. Um, and I like that it also will allow people not to necessarily maintain control for long periods of time because there's always going to be something kind of jumps in and throws a wrench in that. Um, and the article also kind of gives me the impression that there might be some external factors. We talked about weather that might impact um, maintaining a castle. So I hope that is as dynamic as possible. Um, you know, in terms of resources being like an issue, like if resources dry up, if you've got a world event or a world boss that gets spawned, if you've held the castle for a certain period of time, I mean, I'd totally be okay with a world event playing um, into this, you know, taking the king of the hill down a few pegs. I mean, I think of it as the MMO version of, of the castle leadership getting smacked in the face with a handful of baby pot. Oh, I, I mean, love I, it. I, Every I just time. had to bring that in. God, I love that. it when you do that, man. <laughs> but but jumping to the end of the article, though, I, I did like that they alluded to the fact um, that a castle will require resources, taxes, gatherables, different things to maintain. Mm -hmm. I expect that you know, they'll expand upon, you know, the buffs and choices leaders are going to make from a defensive standpoint in future articles. I just wish they would have maybe given us a little bit more than just a tease there on the, on those topics, because that's where we're really kind of diving into that new information we haven't seen uh, yet. Um, and I think, you know, the fact that they did talk about each castle experience being unique is extremely hype worthy, in my opinion. And I, you know, I just go back to my thoughts on maintenance and hoping there's enough variety because I don't want this to end up being, okay, you know, the Dwarven Castle, here's the meta, um, you know, or for that matter, you know, maintaining or, you know, sieging to begin with is kind of a, a very short list of tactics. I do hope 
they really kind of double down on this idea of making everything unique, not only for each castle, but each castle, depending on the lay of the land, right? Um, you know, what nodes are developed, what season it is, like you were saying, um, you know, what class mechanics are available, um, you know, that kind of thing. I just hope that that's an ever-evolving approach that needs to be considered on both sides because that's what's going to pe- keep people yeah. interested. Yeah. I don't want, you know, an I win button um, type of scenario in either defense or um, you know, attack, because I think people will quickly get bored with it. It kind of, again, gets me to like, say something like all track Valley is there seem yeah. to be one yes. or, you know, a handful of I win strategies there. Yeah. Um, I would like that to be a little more, um, you know, voluminous in terms of variety here on the ashes side. Voluminous is a good word. I like that. I'm just I'm gonna throw a voluminous tome at some point in the future. <laughs> so yeah, man, I I agree, man. I think I think things like weather, uh, yeah, it is. You know, there's too many too many uh, battleground scenarios in PvP and MMORPGs where it's essentially just like, you know, it's so cookie cutter. It's ABC, and in some situations, it's literally who just gets there faster, mm-hmm. and then the other teams just you know, SOL, man, like. That to me is that that's boring. Like this is boring. That's epic fail. Epic in my fail. Opinion. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's definitely move on down. We're gonna talk to every class matters. All right. Now this is interesting because again, key point on this, right? If you're watching and you're going, "Oh, sim," but we've heard all this before. You're not the casual. You're not the individual. It's not generally just kind of, you know, browsing every couple months or whatever. But even if you're not, there are still some things in here that indicate a little bit of hope on the things we've been concerned about. We had a rougher episode last week, really trying to like shine some light of the crusade onto some of the positives and all these, in these articles. Right. So every class of profession has something to bring to the table during a siege, whether it's a cable of summoners working together to call bind a behemoth from uh, another plane or a pair of artisans creating new weapons of war to defend the walls. Choice matters. Even in a siege, again, the sense of play counterplay is important to them. Uh, over the studio and they they uh in deciding who to bring uh, to siege is going to depend uh on your resources uh who you are fighting uh where it is you're doing the fighting all those things we just talked about if you're you know trying for the the dwarven castle for example uh dunzenkel i think uh, is how we say that um mm-hmm. but the server has been light on high quality wood for example you won't be able to deploy as many siege weapons as you want and i'm thinking that's somewhere see when i read that i'm thinking season sort of thing right or or something like you know maybe you can't get to you can't farm as much wood or as much lumber uh things like that so uh if you bring more summoners you try to for another behemoth and you uh aren't able to maintain control uh do you double down use subterfuge with your rangers rogues uh and trusting them to get behind enemy lines kind of sabotage so to speak uh do you have like those those types of missions where you send them to try to get back there and sabotage something or take out key points um I like that. Uh, every class being important. This is something they've stressed from way back to the Kickstarter. Is that it was during those Kickstarter videos in that whole month. I remember they were talking about classes mm-hmm. and it was yep. like each classes have their own. It was a class ability, right? Um, okay. And so there's certain certain things that you're able to uh, counter only if you've got that specific class. There might be 
some obstacle that you try to get through. It could be something you can't see that allows you to find another passage. Um, and so I like that they're taking that same uh, methodology and they're applying that to not just uh, how classes navigate through maybe PVE content or environment content, but also through combat situations. So I thought that was great. They were talking about who's getting the castle first. These castles are occupied. Players arrive on Vera. They talked about that before, NPCs, right? Some, mm -hmm. we don't know what that's going to look like exactly. I don't know if it's going to necessarily say the current inhabitants will have to be removed before any player can claim them, right? Fair. There'll be dangerous high-level raid zones until they can be cleared. And the first group of players to do so will gain the castle as a reward. Now, the thing that I've always thought was interesting about this, and I feel like this is a great place to kind of showcase my thought on this, is you remember, now I didn't participate in this, but there was the opening of AQ, the gates, in mm -hmm. World of Warcraft. And it was a yep. server event. And during that time, you know, certain people got this title. And I think it was only the one guy got the, the mount that actually did it, right? Mm -hmm. The person on the quest that actually completed it. Correct. Yeah. Um, I only myself knew one Scarab Lord, and he was a, he was a douche, is all I'm going to say. And, but the thing is, I see about this is we get there, and there's five keeps, and they're inhabited. You know, are they by monsters? Are they by, you know, who, what, exactly, right? And we know there's going to be NPCs, there's going to be bosses, et cetera. But to what extent is that, right? We don't we don't know. He, I don't as far as I have have paid attention so far, they haven't specified that. They've just said inhabitants, right? There will be NPCs. Mm -hmm. So these are gonna be, from my perspective, these are gonna be like maybe potentially once in a lifetime server opportunities, right? I mean Yeah, at least for the, the first yeah. takedown, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean after that. Unless for some reason this just falls back to NPCs, which I don't know how that would happen if they're going to be held by people, right? Someone's going to come after that. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to want a flying mount. They're going to go, you know? And so there's only five of them. I feel like there's going to be enough big guilds in each server to go after them every time. So then the question is, are those, is that the only time we're going to see those NPCs there? Is that the only time that content's going to exist? That's pretty cool. Yeah. For people that are like invested in the game and ready to roll into this, right? So yeah, any anyway, some of your thoughts about these last two points, talking about, you know, the first castle, taking the castle, and then also the classes being important. I mean, I would say this is this part was my favorite part of the article, bar none. I mean, you know, kudos, props, what have you to Intrepid for making crafters an integral part of this process Absolutely. when they started talking about classes. Yeah. I think making crafting matter is super important to me as a player. Uh, I also like the nods, as you mentioned, to summon a ranger and rogue. It did, however, leave me wanting to know more about right. this. What, you know, at least a high level understanding of what some of these other classes will bring to the table in a C situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure that will come, but, you know, my gamer impatience is showing here a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but they did talk about crafters being able to bring even more powerful schematics than NPC bought ones. So that was really cool. Again, a huge tease at the overall intent, but still kind of light on the details. So I'm, I'm hoping they expand upon that in future Siege articles to talk about maybe the types of things players can get. 
as opposed to whatever the default NPC items are and, and what it would take to actually get to that. Um, and I do recall we had a discussion in a couple of podcasts or so back around aspirational content. So yeah. I think it was a really awesome choice by Intrepid to make castle sieges part of the raid content. Meaning, you know, they start talking about NPCs, you know, being in control. And I do hope that there is variety, not only in that initial, you know, raid environment, but then it kind of, when it switches hands, if, you know, for example, maybe people are focused on different, you know, goals and they're not sieging these castles, that somehow a world event jumps in um, and, and you've got maybe a different invading NPC party. So I think that'll be really cool to do. Um, and and I, one thing that I, I just kind of had a moment when I was putting together my notes, I'm like, just think at launch at minimum, right. You're going to start with five separate raid encounters. Yeah. I mean, someone fact checked me, but I thought there were five castles at the start. Yeah. So just imagine this, you have five opportunities to get that server first, like you were talking about. So I think in addition to, node leveling it gives players something right off the bat to have as an aspirational goal um and i think that's that's an again a really solid choice by intrepid to say look hey you've got raid content on day one work towards getting to this you don't even necessarily need to open you know a full raid you've got five raid opportunities right off the bat um i'm I know we talked a little bit about some of the other mechanics, um, you know, specifically around Alterac. I kind of made that made that comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope again that they add enough variation or at least an opportunity for variation to keep it interesting. I don't want this mechanic to get repetitive because if it gets repetitive, then people aren't going to do it necessarily. Um, yeah, so I would say those are kind of the major things. To me, the most exciting part is saying, hey, look, aspirational content right off the bat, opportunities to, you know, really bring in some challenge, some variety in terms of how, uh, you know, castles are managed. Yeah, I just thought this this was the shining light, in, in my opinion, in the article. We're not talking about my bald head either. <laughs> For the record, before someone in chat decides that they're going to say that. So yeah, man, I, I agree. I, I, I'm really looking forward to the artisans being able to. They talked about this previously too, like you know, being able to craft like the declarations, things like mm-hmm. that. I mean, that's just so cool to me. Oh, everyone looks up to you, do they? Though, you all in chat look up to me. I really am contemplating a no when I see that cow emote in chat, though. <laughs> So castles have direct power over the nodes that belong to it, but also a soft power across the entire region it belongs to. All nodes belonging to that region pay fealty to the castle in the form of taxes paid directly to the castle. The monarch sets the rate, can use those proceeds to upgrade defenses, maintain the castle's direct nodes, and provide buffs and benefits to the citizens of that region as the magnanimous ruler that you are, right? Onion, thanks for the lemon. That's interesting. Yes, we call them over here on D Live, everybody. In case you're not really sure, uh, join us on D Live. If you're not sure, you can come uh, see what the hype's about. But yeah, they don't have bits here; they have lemons, and that's fine. Um, with that being said, though, so next point. I want to actually at the next point: capturing points. 
the, like the last point was kind of like just basic. So uh, capturing points, this one's cool. So as the sieges are kind of progressing, right, there's a sense of territory progression. Um, I'm assuming these capturing points are where you're kind of, they're like districts you can take. Um, that's kind of the overall uh, kind of theme that I was getting is essentially that, you know, there's areas that you take. And now if you're um, on on a DLive here, you're watching on the, the podcast later on YouTube, you're probably noticing that this uh, breach in the wall right here, right? You breach in, you take a point, you take a position, you defend it. Uh, so there's a, you know, also they mentioned this is really great for backdoor shenanigans. So essentially, you know, if you break in a wall, this is a perfect example. Like you've got maybe sieging on one end. They don't see someone on a small little group that's trying to like breach in the back. They breach through. They aren't noticed. They take a sector or they take a, uh, a district or whatever, one little area. They they then, you know, re recover, re maybe even res there, depending on how those points are going to work. And then they like pressure on, right? Pressure in through. And that kind of that kind of strategy is, is why I think is important. They said here, the spawn areas also have a portal which allow the sides that own it to teleport to any control point that that side owns, right? Now, I expected to see that discussion for back when we were talking about APOC. I mm -hmm. didn't expect to see that kind of discussion in the MMORPG. So I find that interesting because I feel like these control points have some kind of a magical nature about them, right? So it's something that, how cool would it be if it was like, you know, mage portals or, or something that you could pop because when you took it, like, I don't know, maybe your sorcerers or something could, you know, this is where maybe classes could be important. Maybe your sorcerers with uh, two sorcerers, you could then create said portal that allows you to port around. That's cool. That makes sense. That's something that, that to me, if you're getting into these keeps that have been, are now occupied or you're dethroning somebody, uh, if they're from time long past, to me, that seems really cool that that could happen, like taking advantage of, you know, the ancient magical uh, portals or things that maybe existed in these these keeps from thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, I think. Yeah, I think I think right there, some of your thoughts about maybe these capturing points or maybe even just kind of the ownership of these uh, these keeps in general. I mean, I again, I just like the fact that they're looking at all these different levers to make things interesting um as a you know as a feature in the game um you know i like the fact that you know if they can pull off the destruction mechanics for example i think that's going to be an extremely awesome achievement um definitely be in my opinion one of the shining items of variation writing supreme because you're not even using the door you're making a door making with your it. siege weapon mm -hmm. yeah so i mean i like the fact that they have that i'm i'm hoping there's some variation in terms of the bonuses that you know depending on again how things are working in the that particular server that particular world that maybe capturing a point may not always have exactly the same effect again i don't know how difficult that would be to do but it would be nice to say, okay, well, if you know you have done a certain amount of prep, maybe the point capture isn't as big of a deal, or at least it does something different. Mm -hmm. So maybe instead of portals, it's doing something else. It's like a buff, or you know what have you. But at least something again where it keeps it interesting. And again, I like the idea of strategy you know, being a thing, you can either choose a full frontal assault, you can, you know, 
you know, perform some backdoor shenanigans, whatever in the case may be. I mean, I think it's good to have those options and I hope they make, you know, it in the sense of it being, there's more than one way to, you know, siege down a castle. It's not always one strategy and done. I want there to be a lot of choice there. So um, they, they keep saying that. So I'm, I'm glad they're putting that out there. Hopefully they have a lot of options and levers they can pull easily to switch mm -hmm. that experience up each time. Cause I think that's, what's gonna, to me, make this, you know, a real, um, I would say well-used feature in the game. And the more use you get out of these different features, the more interested people are going to get, and they're going to continue to be engaged in that. Yeah, I agree. See, I think, I think this would also be a really cool opportunity if like, you know, there are these control points, you, you were to like siege the wall, get a, get a control point, you capture it. And then maybe, you know, cause I mean, this would be a great opportunity in Trepa, just saying to like, allow your rangers to parkour or something because they captured a point maybe they have to parkour up and unlock a portal something like that just saying it's a great opportunity to take the the class as being important so they talked about destruction mainly i'm just scrolling over this one so we can take a look how pretty these uh this artwork between the dwarven and human is but mm -hmm. would love to see some 3d rendering of these uh we've seen some 3d rendering for some of the keep stuff but uh <clears throat> They said they're working on a destruction engine that should help them to make castle sieges that feels cinematic and visceral. Having shards um, of the wall tumble to the ground after a trebuchet scores a hit uh, will feel satisfying. That kind of physics would be great. I agree. Um, that's really all I have to say about this. Like you get a big enough hole in the wall, you can turn the tides. I mean, those things are great. Um, siege weaponry. Now they, they showcased a couple different things like uh for example like right in the lower part of the this image particular uh on the screen right now uh there's the human and they're showing a glove that goes with that so i'm guessing it's some sort of uh artifact that you can use to potentially do something and uh, i love that by the way that's my favorite graphic so, and what they're showing yeah that's this. great and then they talked about the dwarf there's this dwarven sort of like i don't know a node or something but yeah they're showing it you know shattering and then dismantling and then unwinding so going through its different different phases of being bulky and then breaking down into the more basic kind of uh standard variation of it like so what's that do um i don't know we don't really know that's really it for the castle siege facts that they posted uh and as far as you know, if you have any final thoughts about this article my main takeaway from it is essentially <laughs> it's Thanos <laughs> Phoenix girl in chat, but yeah, you know what? The that's my thing. The, the 10 facts about the sieges now, for the majority of us in the core community, we were like, we already knew this, right? Here's my thing we didn't have an article on this. I'm glad that they did, I'm glad that they put it up there. I think it's important that anytime they release like a bulk of information and in and in in everything, that they're cataloging that that they're putting that somewhere. I feel like posting it as blogs is really good because when people that are wanting to check the game out are like, let me check it out. Let me see what it costs. Let me, let me go find out the information, right? Well, you went to the website previously and you didn't really have a whole lot in the way of blog posts. You didn't get a lot of information. People were getting this information from content creators 
word of mouth in the Discord, or going and having to watch a live stream. Well, they don't have to do that now. They have an alternative way to get this information. That, to me, is what's important about it. But any final thoughts about this article in particular? I mean, I hit, think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is foundational info, right? And I know it's frustrating for people that have been with a community for a while. You know, we want, you know, to see more details. Um, you know, it felt a little repetitive, but then there were just bits that were new um, that I liked. So I just hope they continue to kind of catalog this in a, in a, in a good way. I mean, I think having that... Um, structure there is great for new people coming in to not only build the hype but also you know give something for people to point to versus a wiki or or something like that which you know i hats off to all the people that have taken their time to actually do that mm -hmm. outside of intrepid um, i'm glad we're getting something official that we can point to um but honestly i mean i know the team is focused on back-end issues um, and, and progress on the castle siege that's kind of months away but in the meantime it's good that they're keeping the information flowing some repetition but also some tidbits to help us theory craft a bit more i just i think it's just a good start um to the momentum just hoping that they move towards more new information as the articles progress so that we can get um, a better balance of orienting people that are new and also satisfying some of the needs for information as things get final. So really, really kind of leading on with what you said about giving us more information, kind of how we have the basics down. Know your nodes was the second article. And this is literally entitled the basics. Now, I'm going to share my bit on this one later. Now, I'm not going to read this one as much verbatim or anything like that, but they, they, you know, showcase some images. I really had, and I think a lot of people's, uh, in my community, at least we're going this is a personal dwelling. This is a home. We have images up here. Now they said this is the beginning of their node series. So, you know, it's important to keep in mind when you start in a series, you got to start from the beginning and the basics is, is ideally where you do that. Let's start with the basic information. Let's inform you on what this is, and then let's build upon the information that you're aware of so that the rest of it under, you know, is understandable to you. And they explained that they were going to, Elaborate on this more and more as we went through the nodes month, right? So the month is for March. So that leaves the expectation for us, Intrepid, that the node information you have to share isn't going to stretch into another month. We're going to get a lot of that this month. Now, if nodes month is from when you brought that up until a month later, it's a different story. But I think everybody's thinking March. So March is where we want to see it. So we said those three, I expect that we're going to get a lot more than that. And I really certainly do hope so, especially in the way of videos. It'd be great to have the nodes video, have some videos, maybe even showcasing uh, and elaborating on what we're seeing in these blog articles. I feel like that visual representation is important. Uh, but again, I come back to saying, I'm glad that they did this. I'm glad they put this up here. We have more back at the, at the, um, the core of where we get our information, the website. I'd like to see that keep happening. And so far, you know, this is a welcome change from my perspective. So they talked about the node basics, right? This is the first in the series. Um, you know, all the design decisions that they're sharing are subject to change. There's things that we, you know, might see now that we're not going to see. Um, we may not see it representative uh, like this in the alphas or betas because this is game development testing and stuff changes. It's always subject to change. Thanks so much, Night Screen, for the 
the goodies in chat. So let's go down. What are nodes, right? We talked about zones of influence. Essentially, if you look at this, you've got these regions that are color-coordinated zones of influence. They, they kind of, uh, each node or little bullet point you see here kind of represents these different hubs. And the zones of influence are the areas around where the nodes are center, centered at that, you know, uh, influence the things in the environment around them, right? That's what zone, the zone of influence means. But we're talking about the different types of advancements, talking about the different types of construction. What they said was 103 node locations at launch. Uh, that was new information for me. That was a bit of a game changer to me. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at this this representation we're looking at right here on the screen, uh, we we've had information about you know five castles, uh, these main dominions, 103 node locations at launch. Yeah, that's a big game changer because now suddenly these the you know how how much are these zones of influences overlapping for each node? How are they organized? How close are some of them together? How far apart are other ones? Uh, that type of dynamic regionally is going to impact uh, the way that they function. So you could have three nodes in one area, and because of their proximity to one another, right, at the core, mm -hmm. being different than potentially one on the other side of the, you know, the map, uh, where they may be clumped up more together. <coughs> The zone of influences are going to act very different from my perspective on that when you tell me 103. So that, I think, is important. What were some of your thoughts about the 103? I mean, I thought that was fantastic. I was like, I had, and when I saw that point, I had to reread it. I'm like, are you serious? At launch, they're <laughs> going to have 103 different nodes. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, and I, it didn't make sense to me until we got to that whole, you know, because we had heard in passing about these, you know, parent and vassal nodes before. But now I get it, um, and I I'm really interested to see more on this. I mean, I think it was, um, you know, in my opinion, a step in the right direction yeah. in terms of level of detail. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it still left me wanting more, but I guess maybe that was the point. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I think you know, I'm really you know, my opinions are going to probably focus on things that really stood out to me. Definitely, um, you know, it was nice to get some real solid confirmation about all the stages of development, what they're called. Mm -hmm. um, they teased a little bit about how to build, de-level, and destroy a node was coming soon. So, again, it's like, oh, give me more of that. I want to know more of that. Um, but one thing that I did like, though, is they talked about each level having some sort of basic infrastructure in place. And I thought that was a really, again, a really smart decision. Your leaders are going to, especially at the start of the game, are going to be pretty green when it comes to managing a node. So you don't want to make it so difficult to manage the node as it levels that it's almost like an insurmountable task. I like the fact that you're going to have some sort of basic infrastructure to work with. Um, obviously, you know, you shouldn't have it be, you know, totally, you know, on autopilot. That would just, you know, make for a not very fun game. So just, but at least having something to get you started to say, okay, here's what I've got at this. Here's maybe my goal to move to stay from stage two to stage three mm -hmm. outside of the whole, you know, parent vassal node. I'm going to be able to know that, Hey, I'm going to get these services at three. So I want to shoot for that. So kind of knowing that offhand mm -hmm. is, is really good. Um, 
I'm really interested to see what choices are available as the node levels for players outside of these basic infrastructure items. So to me, that was um, that was really really cool um, as kind of you know as a something to you know look forward to. But definitely, it was a little mind blowing to see that they were planning for that many nodes. Um, and knowing that nodes themselves are predetermined um, in terms of what type they are, and maybe that's kind of another thing we can talk about here in a minute. But yeah, I was like, wow, 103 nodes. That this, you know, you like you said, it's a game changer. No mm -hmm. pun intended. Yeah, it really is. So we talked about, they talked about that there's seven stages, right? I always thought, mm -hmm. I always had just really kind of conceptualized it as six because I thought about, because you get to a metropolis, right? But they actually broke it down and said wilderness is zero. And mm -hmm. that makes sense because as wilderness, it functions very differently. Mm -hmm. So then you have expedition, then you have camp, village, town, city, metropolis. Uh, talking about that certain types of default infrastructures and how they can change. Now we already know based on the races, right? Culture mm -hmm. influences it. Um, so things like that will influence the type of architecture we have, right? Like you know, if more of an uh, the Empyrean elves contributed more XP hypothetically to this node, then its progression for development will, you know, architecturally be Empyrean, right? That's what we know. Uh, so that's like not really new information. We know about the node types, right? Now this is what was cool because this is this was new information for me. Node types: economic, military, scientific, divine. We knew this. Uh, us tracking it knew this, right? Maybe not everybody did. Economics, trade, merchant focuses, military combat class training focuses, scientifics, artisan and construction focuses. And mm, I always kind of thought a divine node would be tasty. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I always thought that would be great because what better than entering the realm of the light bringer? If I had to get real narcissistic for a minute and I was the man and I ran something and I was all like, you've entered the realm of the lights, righteous crusader. Join our crusade right the divine nodes is faith skill and equipment augment focuses faith skill and equipment augment focuses i want a divine node for me like my play style that one caught my eye the most i was like i don't care about the rest anymore i want to be some god node or whatever you know <laughs> that's what i'm thinking then we go each node's type will be e easily uh identifiable at node level one, which is cool. So as the area propagates, the NPCs will come into the areas based on the node type. So it's going to attract. So that's how you're going to be able to tell early on what type of node it is. Even at level one, the minute it goes from just being a wilderness node, this a blank canvas, if you will, the minute it develops to one, you're already going to get some indicators for what type of node it is. Now, I feel like to people that want to try to have some control over which nodes develop, that's going to cause the population who have desires for what node they want to see grow, go, oh no, that's like, a, that's a divine node, man. Nah, man, I wanted that military node. I don't see any soldiers. Maybe I see priests and stuff. And it even says priests are the divine node, right? Military would be guards. Scientific would be scholars. Economic would be merchants. So you're going to get an idea based on that. Now, that was cool information, right? That really did help to kind of bring a little bit of clarity to speculation mm -hmm. that we might have had previously. Um, one thing here, 
that the node types are predetermined like we talked about. Same across all servers, right? A node's type is static, does not change based on the node's level or destruction. For example, if a level four scientific node is destroyed, it will become a level zero scientific node. It will never, buy, never be any other node type for, uh, other than a scientific node. The location of these types relates to the influence of the area around the node. So what I'm hearing is, is it's not going to just shift around. Something we speculated a long time ago. I think it was mm -hmm. the node sense uh, one we did way back. Yeah, we talked about that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what are some of your thoughts about that? I can move on if you got none. I got some other ideas. Um, I, I got a couple here. Cool. Um, I think two, I would say what I would dub super hype-worthy aspects of the article um, that I want to point out. Um, and and frankly, this was a great balance of stuff we knew and stuff we needed to know or mm -hmm. wanted to know. So I think this is another great move and yeah. kind of dovetailing the, the info that we're getting. I think we all assumed or at least theory crafted about what no types, you know, would mean in the world. And it was really good to get some confirmation and clarification yes. on the intent here. Um, I would really love to see some articles Absolutely. focusing on each node type specifically, like an article for the divine node, an article for the military node, and really, you know, look at educating us to what levers we have in each of these nodes as players without giving away the secrets, of course. I mean, I, I do want discovery to be part of this, and I know Jeff and Stephen have talked about that often. Um, the other thing that I really thought of is the logistics of character progression. So if I want to develop my class further, right, do I need to find a military node? Is that going to be the only way I can develop my class or spend points or buy class skills? To me, it adds another layer of that travel aspect, right? Yeah. You know, we already know that tra fast travel is going to be minimal to non-existent, Absolutely. right, depending on the node type. Mm -hmm. So it's another way that they're adding weight to travel and some planning that you need to do with your playtime and with yeah. your friends or whatever you're planning to do. So how significant of an investment will it be to progress your character if you need to balance between different nodes to accomplish that? Another point that I was thinking of related to this is, you know, how will the level of the node determine how be I can advance my character. This is, you know, as an example, if I'm level 25, mm -hmm. well, I need to find a military node of three or greater to purchase an appropriate skill for my level, or will I be okay with a level one node? Yes. Um, to me, it's like the node type section was a great ad, and in some ways, it frankly raised more questions than it answered, which I'm fine with, right? Because it revs up the Herald Craft engine. Yeah. Right. The Herald gets a little gas from the Herald Craft engine. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think this, this was, you know, in my opinion, the highlight of this as well. Um, you know, in addition to talking about, you know, the vassals and ZOIs, I think, and, and knowing that there's 103, um, starting points and that just gives a lot of variety for the server to develop. Uh, yeah, this, this was, you know, fantastic in terms of the, the new information that we got and, and again, raising more questions into theory craft. Yeah, the other thing I liked was they talked about vassal nodes, which I've already scrolled up to for you here, paying attention to the video. And the thing I liked about vassal nodes is we've heard about it before, but there hasn't really been any... I mean, we've heard about it, and if you've paid attention to Discord, the know-it-alls who sit there all the time have gathered this information, and they've probably distributed it somehow, right? And that's great, because they're helping the greater community by doing that, right? 
But what's great is that Intrepid's going and they're taking this and putting this somewhere too. So now you're not just getting it from your wiki. Like it's important to me as not only a content creator, but as a player to know that I can go to the website for the game and get all the information. I don't just have to go to a wiki. I personally want to be able to get all the information about a game from the game, from their site. We're at the same place. I want that central hub for everything Ashes to always, always, always be the subject matter expert, not an external source. I love the wikis. I love other content creators who make content. Uh, you know, I do it, right? But I want people to seek the information out from the source. That's that's important to me as, as a player and as a community member. And I feel like that's just, you know, that's just intelligent as someone who's choosing to invest their time and money into any product, game, or otherwise, community, whatever. But beginning at node stage three, when a node advances, it enslaves nearby nodes, making them into its vassals, right? Makes a lot of sense. Vassal nodes are owned by a parent node and must always be at least one node stage below the parent node. This means that the vassal node cannot grow until the parent node advances in stage. Vassal nodes, so when you hit three, the others are enslaved. They cannot pass that node up. That's what that. That's how that works. Vassal node gives experience to their parent node. That's pretty cool. And are able to have their own vassals as long as they fit within the same construct, right, with the zone of influence that we talked about. Uh, they're subject to government alliances, wars, taxes, and trade with the parent node and are able to receive federal aid from them. A vassal node cannot declare war on the parent node or any of its vassals. Citizens of vassals are bound uh, by the diplomatic states of the parent node. So that's that's your metropolis logic, right? Content, all quests, dungeons, raids, events, NPC spawns, resources, and narratives are determined by both the node stage and the influential race. Additionally, which I thought was interesting, right? So is that the influential race? Is that the race who's contributed to the architectural style? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, the one that contributes the most. Right. Okay. So whatever race contributes the most XP, that's that's the person or that's the race that's going to have more influence. So additionally, the layout and architecture within a node's development area are determined by influential race. Which That's read that twice. I don't know, man. Mm, you might have. I might have. That's fine. You guys, just, I'd said something about being old. This is just ammunition for that, I guess. They said, for example, a stage three node with the majority of the player contribution being Pyri uh, would have Pyri Village with Pyri Architecture. Most NPCs would be Pyri Elves and offer quest lines within the Pyri narrative. So that's kind of cool. That to me was interesting uh, because it helps to explain how that overarching narrative can change based on my Internet's good. Oh, it's reconnected. And. Hold up. Hold up. And we're back. Apologies cool just disconnected for a minute anyway so yeah government uh player government becomes available at stage three and mayors gain new powers and responsibilities as the node advances that is awesome now i'm going to hit on the zone of influence and then we'll kind of do a recap on this one so every node is given a purview over a predefined geographic area which we call the zone of influence you'll hear this a lot zois no matter where you go in the world, whether you're questing, gathering, raiding, you'll be helping determine which nodes will develop and what zones of influence or ZOIs will expand. Any area that a node controls is considered uh, its zone of or zone of influence, ZOI. Includes vassal nodes, and all vassal nodes exist within the zone of influence of their parent node. Right. So this is just talking it's a lot about that 
each domain rules its own, but it's also subject to the parent. And we know that there can only be what? Five? There's five castles. I believe they said five metropolises also. Yeah, I want to say five metropolises. Yeah. But that doesn't take away from how many, uh, you know, lower level nodes. Like, so that means you could have a metropolis and then hypothetically around that, you could have cities mm -hmm. and then towns. So that, I'm just sitting there going architecturally. Pfft, can you imagine what that could look like one day? To see this metropolis in the middle, this very large center. And then you just see this kind of like, you know, I think some like Lord of the, Lord of the Rings cities, right? Like, right. Like Gondor or something. How you just have this peak in the middle. And then it just slowly, you know, kind of curves down into the terrain. It just is grand. And you can't get to the center, you know, of that city until you go through all the districts or the, you know, growing areas, the bustling towns, then cities, and then the metropolis. I mean, so I'm from my really curious mind going, how big could these get with their vassals before you yeah, get to wilderness, right? right? Before you get to wilderness again. So that's something I'm wondering. And what's the balance on ensuring you have wilderness so that, you know, you don't have nothing but just city everywhere and then towns and then camps and so any other your final thoughts though i feel like this was overall a good article because they took the basics they put it back at the core hub we can refer to it and they even said we're starting from the basics on nodes and we're building off of that we're going to expand on that so if you're frustrated because you've been following this and it's not what you wanted to see you know my my reference point is keep in mind this is the beginning, and they said they're going to expand. I get it. If you're going to tell a story, you got to start in the beginning. Right. For reference, it makes a lot more sense to people. But final thoughts on this, man. Yeah, I mean, just kind of along the lines of the DOI piece, I think the one thing that I assume, based on the way the article was worded, is that each node has kind of a minimum and a maximum ZOI, mm -hmm. depending on what stage it's at. And I think that's how you're uh, going to have ZOIs clash. Got it. I mean, again, I clarification if, if anyone kind of has right. more information and gotten anything from the devs, but it feels like at some point you are going to have ZOIs that, you know, butt heads, they're going to be overlapping. Um, and in order for one parent node to overtake another parent node, they're going to need to either, um, you know, have a seed situation or something else because i have a feeling there's going to be a lot of crossover and that's where mm -hmm. the conflict um conflicting kind of ideals whether you know what node needs to be supreme or whatever come come into play i mean i would just echo your thoughts i think m the biggest thing for me outside of the new information um that was shared is i liked how well organized the post was I felt like it went into more detail than the previous Castle Siege post, which was good. So I'm just hoping that that momentum of new information kind of flowing in is is consistent. Um, you know, it felt like a primer for newer community members um, with new information. And I think, again, like we said, the approach here is going to be a pattern for a while. And I think it makes sense. Um, you know, as I said, I hope. You know, Intrepid keeps pushing the envelope to share more information, Definitely. new information, 
versus kind of rehashing old information that have, you know, have been part of previous discussions, you know, since Kickstarter. But the most exciting and interesting aspects for me are clearly going to be the new information that they're going to bring in the future articles. So, you know, kudos to them to organizing it really well. I think it's great to be able to point new players or new, you know, new people that are interested in a game to say, here's kind of a summary of kind of nodes one and two. Um, you know, I think those are really good things. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that's kind of my final thoughts here uh, until we move on to maybe the moving forward and what, what's to come. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, that's, I've, I've kind of said my piece about it already, I think. And, and I think uh, kind of closing in today, um, I think, I mean, mainly is like some final feedback on, on community sentiment. Uh, I, I know I touched on it a little bit earlier. I know there were a lot of people that were frustrated. I've explained what I think is important for people keeping in perspective is that we all want to see more than we've seen so far, uh, but their delivery via the blog post is start from the beginning and go forward. We still had a couple weeks. They did two blog posts last week, right? You know, give them a minute, give them a little patience. They're trying to rework a lot of things. And I've seen some good momentum this past week. It may not be everything I personally would like to see, but as the overall, you know, as at looking at the big picture, it's progress. It's, it's important. And I don't think it, I think it's important to not, you know, not give them some credit for that because I think that it's noteworthy. Um, aside from that, I know we were talking about, there was another point that we were going to mention. Do you want to hit that one? Do you think we could save it? It's up to you. I mean, I'm okay either way. We're already a little over. Okay. I'm just going to, we'll, we'll try to make a quick point out of this one. Cause I feel like this is mm -hmm. important to say, I feel like it's an issue in the community and we saw that there was a big fuss about it. There's only so much I can say about it. Um, but in regard to individuals breaking NDAs and stuff, right? There was this big thing where, you know, certain individuals were sharing information. You know, I don't know who, you know, I, I don't know. There's a speculation, there's rumors, there's things like that. Uh, the only thing that I want to bring up about this is if you have an NDA, you know, whether it's your content creator, your PI or otherwise, uh, even if you don't have an NDA outside of like alpha testing, stuff like that, right? You do have a responsibility to the community to ensure that you're doing your part to uh, safeguard information. Like it's very important that that is something that's honored or respected because, you know, as part of open development, that's something that is an expectation, right? And people can be like, oh, well, they break ND people and break NDAs all the time. Yeah, but it's a damn choice. It's a choice to do that, right? It's a choice to distribute information from someone who's breaking an NDA, right? Now, people are going to be like, oh, you know, you know, you know, maybe this is unrealistic expectation, blah, blah. It's really not like you've got a choice. Everyone has a choice in it. And if you break an NDA or you, you do anything like that, you distribute information from someone who broke an NDA. From my perspective, you're undermining the game's development. You're undermining the studio and you're not being respectful to the individuals who are, you know, are asking that you safeguard that information. Even if it's not your, if you're not the person that broke it, but you get the information then you choose to distribute it or whatever, I still feel like, you know, you're really doing a disservice to the, to the company. That's just my perspective. I also think it's really important that the people that are doing that are held accountable. I think that, you know, 
If they've got privileges, they should be stripped. Uh, because an NDA, the non-disclosure agreement, that is legally binding. It's legally binding. It's not a, hey, please don't do this. We'd, we'd really appreciate it if you didn't. It's legally binding. Uh, so from my perspective, people that are breaking NDA, they should get hammered to the full extent of ability, I think. And maybe it's a little bit of a hardcore stance. That's all I'm going to say about it. You know, please, please, if you if you are safeguarding NDA, do your job. Do your job. I get that people want to share things and, and everything. It's one thing if someone like, you know, a guy's married and he's playing the game, his wife walks by and sees it, right? It's very different in that scenario, right? Because that kind of stuff is typical to happen, right? But when you take it and then you go and you showcase it somewhere or you tell people exactly what happened and that's something you're not supposed to do, that's breaking an NDA, all right? That's my that's my bit on it. I feel like it's important to say that, you know, do your job if you have an NDA. Like, don't be that guy. Uh, any of your thoughts about that, Daedalus? I mean, I think there's kind of two major things that I see here. I mean, I personally view being part of the start of a development cycle like we have with Intrepid. Yeah. I view that as a privilege. And I the do. developers trust that people that are signing NDAs are going to honor that. So yeah. to me, it's about trust and respect, not only for Intrepid, but also your fellow community members, because some have invested significant amounts of, of money to gain the access. Um, and you, you basically invalidate that investment at some level. I mean, at the end of the day, we're still all here with one goal it's to support Intrepid, to make a great MMO. Um, just, you know, if you're, a leaker or you're you know getting leaks to me those types of people are attention seekers and i just encourage you if you have evidence of anyone leaking just share that with maggie and toast yes please um, if you support those leakers and allow them to begin damaging your fellow community members you're damaging intrepid and the development of this game and you're breaking the cycle of that feedback loop yeah right we're talking about open development being a kind of a pinnacle of the the project here and i know the information is pretty light the past few months and trump has already explained why that's the case they're ramping that stuff back up again don't you know break the trust that the developers have with the community by either leaking or supporting leaks um and i hope you guys take that to heart bottom line if you have enough respect for the community and for intrepid speak up this is this is not a joke. This is not something that I take lightly either. So I'm 110 percent behind you, Sim. This this is a very very important point. I think that everybody needs to listen and put into practice as yeah. far as respect and trust. Yeah, I agree with that. I do. And with that being said, uh, I do want to kind of wind us down. I feel like this was a great episode. I mean, I know we we're regurgitating a lot of information that. Maybe a lot of people already are, you know know about, but hopefully there were some things in there for the people that are diehards that have been watching that you know they got something out of it or got a little bit of a little bit of a different idea about things. Maybe they kind of let their imaginations run run off track a little bit. Feel like right now is a great time for that to happen. Um, but yeah, with that being said, uh, I want to make a couple notices here. Um, we are still looking for at least one more co-host, permanent member. Uh, and then, you know, the goal is to like have three permanent members here and from time to time, maybe cycle in one person uh, that could kind of join. I've been reaching out to a few people. I'm trying to really get some new faces 
uh, you know, but I really would like to get some people that are honorable uh, that are doing the things that we're asking right here to come on. And so, um, <laughs> I come for the stream, but I stay for the beard. He's talking about you, not me, huh? The little beard envy. Um, oh boy. but yeah, if you're interested in being on the show here on ashes, pathfinders, uh, shoot me a DM. You can also email us at ashespathfinders at gmail.com. Got that email now. Um, so if you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, you don't want to post publicly, um, feel free to shoot a message. Uh, if you're interested in being on the show, you can either DM me, you can DM Daedalus. Um, yeah, I told this to you. <laughs> and, or you can, you can use that That's email. Cool. Yeah. Just let one of us know. And, you know, either way, uh, we're a team. So hit us up, let us know. And then um, uh, just a notice, I do plan on streaming this on D live taking it it'll go to the patreon supporters for the next day and then it goes live on youtube twitch and potentially some other places more than likely just video platforms at this time still working on getting it in audio format elsewhere but you know gotta kind of get to it when i can get to it at this point uh if you'd like to catch up with daedalus or i you can catch uh daedalus on uh .com. you can catch him on youtube at uh, youtube.com forward slash C slash the Ashen Herald. You can catch him on twitter.com forward slash the Ashen Herald. You can catch me at cmorg.us, uh, youtube.com forward slash C slash cmorg, and on twitter.com forward slash Lord cmorg. And uh, yes, and if you would like to support this podcast or the crusade, feel free to uh, hit the link down in the description. A Patreon, there are a lot of cool perks there that I'm adding on to over time. You can support this content, the Pathfinder show. And just a lot of uh, future initiatives regarding Ashes of Creation. With that being said, it's been a great podcast. Thanks to all of you Pathfinders who showed up today to participate, even in chat. And Daedalus, thanks for being here as always. And Thank you. Yeah, and until next Monday night, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll see you all on stream. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>